Greetings and welcome to Dead for Filth. I'm Michael Verratti, and this is the podcast for all things queer, horror, and beyond. I'm excited to have in the studio today a dear friend and true renaissance woman in the world of horror. She has worked across many different indie films and releases and has worn many hats within the industry. And she's also one of the women behind the celebrated Etheria Film Night, a festival that celebrates women in horror. I'm excited to dig into that with her today. Welcome to the studio, Stacey Pippiham. And welcome, Stacey. Why, thank you for having me, Michael. I'm so glad you're here. I think that we're going to have a lot to talk about. Uh, but before we even get started, I'm going to ask you the first thing I ask every guest on the show. My underwear is black. Oh, well, I've... Oh, that's not the question? I just figured that'd be the question that you ask everybody that comes onto your show. I'm going to now. Okay. Because I'm wondering if there have ever been commando guests, and I'm wondering if they'll reveal it. Wait till you invite some of the Scottish guys over. <laughs> Well, the first question I actually ask is uh, a simple one, but it tells us a lot about each of the creators and people who come on. And it's simply this. Why horror? And you can interpret that however you want. Like, what drew you to the genre? Why do you enjoy working in it? Like, what is the connection? Why horror for you? Well, this might take up the entire show. Um, When I was a child, I actually take after my father quite a bit. And one of the things that he loved to do was to wake us up in the middle of the night to watch Creature Features out of Channel 2 up in Northern California. And he would do this quite frequently. I'd be in bed and get shaken up, and we all go pile into Dad's bed with the popcorn that you actually made on the stove Mm, back then. The best kind. And watch these old episodes um, of Creature Features. At one point in time, I decided I was going to run away and live with my grandparents. I had this idea that since my parents were telling me no, and mind you, I was like three, four years old. It was preschool age. Mm-hmm. That, And they said that I had to listen to them because they were my parents. Well, then they had to listen to grandma and grandpa because that was his parents. This is sound logic. Yeah, Very absolutely. Very sound yeah. logic. And my grandparents actually lived just under a mile down the same road. Um... And I decided I'm going to take off and live with grandma and grandpa. And my parents were like, see ya, have a good one. (laughs) And I started walking down the street. I think at some point my parents realized, oh, she's actually going to walk all the way to grandma's. Reasonable parents would have gotten in their car or walked, chased after me and said, get your butt in this house. Picked me up, dragged me off home. Right. My father was not reasonable. My father decided to drive around a different block and get ahead of me and proceeded to jump out of the bushes wearing a gorilla mask (laughs) in the hopes to scare me back home again. Didn't work. I just screamed, started crying, and just kept running towards Grandma's house. He did this three times. I get to Grandma's house. I ring the doorbell, and Grandma opens the door and says, Stacy, I'm so happy to see you, and opens her arms to welcome me in her embrace. And suddenly gets attacked from behind by a gorilla that slams the door in my face. And I pissed my pants right there on her porch. Wait, so she was in on it too? Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I really like that he committed to the rule of threes and then had a punch Absolutely. at the end. Yeah. You know, and his father had converted the garage into a movie um, screening room. Um, the, the back blinds, he had you know, a two-car garage where the whole back wall was a window into the backyard and had a blind that covered it that was uh, for projecting on. And he had 8mm, 16mm, and we used to watch films all the time out there. So, so movies are always a love of film. Yeah, I was going to say, they're in your blood almost, it Absolutely. sounds like. So from being scared uh, by the gorilla in the bushes to actually being a full-fledged fan of the genre, what's the transition? You watch late-night creature features, but I would think, like, peeing yourself on your grandma's doorstep might, like, have pushed you away from scary things. Me, 
maybe, but I mean, I like to face my fears, I guess, and I charge head into them. What really got me more involved was when my own children got older. Um, I was a single mother of two boys, Mm -hmm. and uh, after all the looks that I would get in our small town of sitting on my skateboard covered in tattoos watching my kids play soccer, we started to find other activities that we like to do together, which started out with comic conventions and um, animation festivals and um, independent, more science fiction festivals that were for the kids. Sure. And that just kept evolving. We started going to WonderCon in San Francisco, started making the big mecha trip to San Diego Comic Con, um, supporting a lot of the independent horror in our neighborhood. But the first large show we ever went to, when my son was turning 11 years old, I'm asking him, what do you want for your birthday? And he pulls out a copy of Fangoria, opens it up to a, a full-page advertisement for the Burbank Marriott for Weekend of Horrors. Oh, wow. And says, I want to meet Wes Craven. And so we did. And the amazing thing is, is showing up there and, and meeting the other you know, people in the industry and the fans. Some people I may have you know, come across before at other events, but feeling like I really found my tribe and that I fit in. And it just sort of blossomed from there. That's awesome. So even though you were a fan casually throughout the years, it kind of took into adulthood for you to seize your place in the community. Absolutely. And what I really like about the story is a lot of guests come on and they'll talk about how when they were kids, their interest in this was kind of like at odds with what their parents uh, were into or liked or like, this is gross or you can't watch that. Or maybe sometimes mom and dad were involved in the watching of it, but didn't really get like the deeper fascination. But you were actually brought in by your kid, essentially, in a way. Right. Between my father and my son. Now, my mother, of course, was the this is nonsense and there's no time for this and you need to study and you need to have a great job and right. work, 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 work. But it really like I blame my son and it's his fault. So blame Kyle. I, I thank Kyle. And, and actually, I do remember that same weekend. It was that same weekend that I met Jeffrey Riddick. And it was Jeffrey, upon meeting us, and Kyle went to get an autograph, looked at him at 11 years old, looked at me and said, you know, this is fantastic. I was sneaking these movies as a kid, and it's <laughs> so great to see him. I'm like, they're going to watch him anyways. Right. Jeffrey was our first guest. See? Yeah. Everything comes full circle. It does. So you got involved in the fan community. You went to conventions, you went with your kids, and you uh, really started to recognize the community that was built around it. At what point did you, attending these events, then decide, I also want to go beyond just fandom and start working in this world? What was the transition? I think it's, you know, that transition was, was maybe fairly common. It started with, because I was attending so many conventions, I started getting asked if I would help at the conventions. And I'm like, well, sure. I'm going to pay for my vacation anyways. Might as well get that part paid. Right. And slowly starting to see behind the curtain and how the mechanisms worked really started to align with, you know, my other personality that is as a, an analyst, Mm -hmm. I'm a business analyst, you know, by trade. So I started seeing how it worked and it, it couldn't help but start getting the ideas flowing of how to do it in different ways, how to be more efficient, um, how to communicate things, you know, the, the skill of communicating between different departments. As I understood more of what those departments were in film, I had a knack for getting people 
to kind of work together. And then I was told, oh, you're a producer. Okay, well, fine. I'm a producer. But I'm not a producer. I don't know what I'm doing. And then I'd get on set and be holding it together. It's like, okay, I guess I'm a producer. Well, as someone who's been working in film for a long time myself, I can tell you that a lot of producers don't always know what they're doing. So uh, it's it's one of the few gigs where you learn by fire almost. Absolutely. But coming from a business analyst background, which I think is really interesting because in the world of business, there's a very sort of logical through line to how you do your work. Sure. And films are chaotic, which I know now, having worked on many sets and you've worked on many sets, that you can only expect the unexpected. But coming from that world where you were maybe very used to you know, a cut and dry approach to business. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that first time you were on a film set. What was that experience like and what, that transition, if you recall? Well, quite honestly, that's when I realized that it really isn't that different than in any other um, aspect, any other type of business. I had, I have worked on everything from high-tech computers, um, trucking, food product, warehouse storage, and when you have a human element, you're always going to have um, the opportunity to kind of go off the rails mm-hmm. or uh, perhaps stay, you know, within the lines, but creatively, right. <laughs> you know, maybe not necessarily point A to point B, but stopping along the way and making some tweaks and adjustments. So that I, I think that's where... I'm, I have the type of personality that if I know something, I know something. I am no hesitation, very confident. But if I don't think so, I, I, I don't have that ability to bluster and say, sure, I can. I can totally do that. Um, I'll doubt myself. And so the first time going on a film set, I'm like, I don't know anything about film at right. all. I'm just going to be stupid and you know, just make me a PA. They're like, no, no, you know more. I'm like, well, no, I don't know anything. But as I watched, um, I realized I did know a lot more than I thought I did. Right. Um, the same type of issues, any type of plan, any type of event, um, any type of project. If I'm, you know, it's it's hard. To, I don't know. We can go into the weeds with that. I can't think of a perfect analogy, but it truly is no different in any other type of business world. Now, the content might be a lot more creative and right. um uh, different tools are used. But as an analyst, my job wasn't to understand the usage of every single tool. It was to understand how they all had to work together to get the finished product. That's awesome. That's very interesting. And what I really think is true about your application professionally of that mindset is when you look across your resume, you have done so many different things on different films. And uh, I mean, I know that you have done everything from crafty to production, the assistant to the producer. You've done all sorts of setups. Tell, tell me about some of the, the crazy jobs that you've done on some of these indie films. Like what, what's one of the most unique things you've ever had to do on a film set? Um, the most unique thing? I, I, I don't know if it's unique. I mean, to, I, I think it's something that you'll say, well, that happens on every time, every single independent film set. But I think, um, well, being the best boy for my own boyfriend took off some very interesting um, <laughs> discussions off set. Um, you know, I, I think only because we had worked together on many sets, but we found, you know, we work really good together in 
in production, right. um, in different departments, and in post-production and in sales. Right. We know through experiences like this, we do not work good together on pre-production because we both want to set up a different set of plans. Right. We can execute any plans together without hardly talking, but when it comes to making them, we'll fight. Um, and then I also learned that I will never, ever work in his camera lighting department for him ever again. Because he's a DP. He's a DP. Yeah. And uh, DPs, for those of you out there who are not familiar, are directors of photography, uh, cinematographers to, to the Academy Award watching crowd. Uh, and they are very specific about the work they do. They're the ones who make the movie look the way it does. And that's, uh, that's no small feat. And sometimes you do not want to kind of be involved in that process because it's singular. It is. And like I said, we've worn many different hats together, you know, with, um, you know, me producing and him acting or him directing and me producing, you know, we've worn, we just, we're, you learn over time the boundaries, just like any other relationship where those trigger points are. Because once we're on set, we're not a couple. We're there to work. Right. And anything you can do to minimize issues in in advance makes it happier for everybody. And (laughs) Now, I do have to ask, because you primarily do behind-the-scenes work, and you've done a lot of different things in making films happen, Mm -hmm. but you do have one acting credit (laughs) in a movie uh, called 15 to Midnight. Yes. Tell me about that, since you are not necessarily someone who seeks out acting. What was that like to step in front of the camera? Okay, so the funny thing on 15 till midnight, and I know on IMDb has me now stuck that I think acting comes up as like my primary credit because of that. Um, I did not act. I was not cast. My tattoos were. Oh. So there was a just a small part, um, really a glorified extra part as part of this band of knowers, and I was one of them. Um, and laughing again, because that's actually where I met. Wolfgang Meyer, who was the director of that film. And is now your boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> uh, I love the idea that you might be the preeminent tattoo actor in a way. I mean, make just the idea that you were cast for, it, uh, for it, tattoos. It was. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was brought in by the writer and actor, um, was a friend. I happened to be in the New York area when they were filming, um, just on vacation. They're mm-hmm. like, come by and do this. And, um, so that was my first opportunity meeting him in work mode. And it was, yes, lights here, back, turn, turn a little bit more. Don't move. And I have no idea because he's shooting my back piece. I'm like, I have no idea. Yeah, look casual. So. <laughs> so having done so many different things, including being tattoo model and actress extraordinaire, uh, you have seen all sorts of films and been part of all sorts of kinds of films and seen the lives that they all lead and the trajectories that they go on and some go to festivals, some go to distribution. And I think that's a natural, you know, slide into the discussion of the work that you do now because you started working with and co-founded essentially the Etheria Film Night? Correct. And uh, Etheria Film Night is a celebrated festival here in the LA area that now also tours the world that is a centerpiece for women in genre. And uh, tell me about going from working on film sets to using your 
work within this community to help highlight filmmakers and, and make this amazing thing happen? Uh, well, Heidi, um, Heidi Honeycutt and I had both started out together on the board of directors for the Viscera Festival, um, which was founded by Shannon Lark um, that was focusing on horror um, and women directors. During that time, Heidi had started the side project of Etheria and at that time was strictly for science fiction and fantasy to complement it. When um, when Viscera folded, uh, Heidi and I had gotten together and she talked about the idea of us getting back into it. We didn't want, when, when Viscera is still going, we didn't want to compete against it. We felt that that just dilutes the entire movement for the filmmakers. Right. But with it gone, there was a void. We had many people reaching out to us going, Are you, will you guys do something? And uh, we met up. We decided of... You know, don't bite off more than you can chew. We want to celebrate all these different genres. Um, and let's really focus on, for now, since it's the two of us and, you know, and excuse me, three of us, Katie um, Video, who's our other partner out of Texas that helps execute the events. Mm-hmm. Um, how do How do we get the most bang for our buck? What can we do that doesn't spread ourselves too thin? And what we decided was instead of trying to run a full festival, that we would focus in on a single block. Mm -hmm. That was the cream of the crop and make it a mixtape across these genres, horror, science fiction, fantasy, action, um, these genres that we all love that are often quoted as women do not even like these films, let alone have any interest in directing, let alone can physically handle directing. Right. Which to that, my response is a director should not be lifting anything heavier than their coffee cup. So what's the problem? (laughs) Um, We we do have side work that um, different screening series that we do and tour level films that we are focusing on the emerging directors and getting involved in supporting other festivals or other projects that are more curating talent. Um, But for our event, we want to focus on this night is the short list to hand to the direct to, to the studios here in Hollywood. Every single one of these ladies is ready right now to do TV, to do tentpole films. Right. Um, we present it as a mixtape to highlight all of those, but also to show women, a woman directed film is not one type of film or has one type of look. Absolutely. How many years now has a theory been going on? It's our fifth year. I uh, have attended as many years as I've lived in L.A., so probably all five. And I really think it's one of the most special nights uh, in film in the whole year because I think that the curation of Etheria is amazing. I've seen some of my favorite shorts there. And I think the the message that you three are sending by putting this together is crucial because one of the things that we talk about in this series of discussions on Dead for Filth is about the importance of representation in film. And uh, over the course of running this festival, just in a single year, how many submissions would you say you get? A thousand. So when people tell you that there just aren't women filmmakers, that's got to make you furious. Absolutely. Because you've worked and interacted with so many of these filmmakers across the world? Because you've had filmmakers from all over. Where's the farthest? Um, Egypt or Israel, perhaps. 
what are some of the stories that you've heard of challenges that these women have faced just trying to get their art made? Like, what is there a through line that you've noticed? I mean, there's so many people have covered this topic in general for right. filmmaking for women. Right. Um, you know, statistics all day long that when you go into film school, the numbers are pretty equal. By the time you exit film school, it's considerably lowered. The women that make it through get regulated to documentaries and commercials and, you know, right. um, or if they get to do narrative film, you know, of course you're doing the historical pieces and the romances, right? That's what you do. Right. That's what you're into. Um, so we kind of focus on like at the, at the festival level. Many of these women that are coming to us, they're, they're, they're not brand new. They've been doing this for many years. Um, they've, they've been submitting shorts and features into festivals for many years. They've gotten played at different festivals. So our first level is in making our festival different. Yes, it's a little harder we don't have, you know, 50 films playing. We have seven to 10 right. films playing in the main lineup. But if you are selected and you come in, this is your night. This is your celebration. The focus is on you. Um, all of the outreach, setting up the meetings and, and introducing you to um, to agents, to studios, to producers. This is for all of you, every single one of you. Because when anybody makes it into a festival, right, we all know going all day long, several days, if you have a short that's in this 2 p.m. block with these other shorts. Right. It can get lost in the noise. It gets lost in the noise. Much of your audience are the other filmmakers in that block. Right. And heaven forbid you play last and the other filmmakers have walked out of the block before your film even plays. Right. We didn't want to set the filmmakers up for that. Your film is awesome. We want people to see it by having one block with everybody invited. Right. And filling out a 630-seat theater oh, and, and the, making it your night. Audiences you put together fun. are outrageous. People are it's, – it's like a party, and that's amazing. And we want it to be. We want it to right. be a celebration. I mean, quite honestly, if I look at – everyone's like, well, what festival, you know, would you model? Wouldn't you want to be like this one someday? Or there's many things I like from many festivals, but the party – I want to be like Outfest. They have the best party I, and they, celebration. They do. As as a Outfest uh, enthusiast and participant, I agree that they sure know how to celebrate both sure. the films and the community. And I think the thing that you, Etheria, and Outfest have in common is it does have to be a celebration because... Uh, what happens is both of these groups that are being put on display at these festivals, whether it's the LGBT community at Outfest or women in film at Etheria and the crossover that exists between them, we still are fighting for visibility in the film industry. Yes. The, the, the truth is, is that it would be ideal in the future that we wouldn't have to have gay film festivals Correct. or female film festivals. There would just be film festivals Correct. because everyone would be treated the same. Absolutely. That is, you know, my mission statement is for us to be obsolete. Right. And we don't do that with a bumper crop year where because of a little bit public outcry and noise and things get greenlit because we saw that back in, in the 80s already. Right. We had this bumper, you know, time of women directors and then we went backwards. Right. Completely. So, you know, I'd love to be able to step back and let it run its course you know, but I'll always be watching it and we'll be ready to step back in if it's needed. But for now, it's 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 amazing how many people say, well, I have not met a single woman that can direct that. Really? Here, let me send you this film. 
Well, to the, to the degree on a major studio level, uh, and you know, I'm not trying to put anyone on blast, but Kathleen Kennedy, who pretty much is running the Star Wars franchise right now, which is cool, a woman in power running the biggest sci-fi franchise Absolutely. ever. But when she was put to to writes about you know would a female ever direct a Star Wars film she said something to the effect of well there just aren't that many female filmmakers and you sitting here I guarantee will tell her that's not true correct uh so from the success of Etheria being this standalone celebration one night a year you took the idea of taking those films and working with emerging filmmakers and other filmmakers who needed eyes Mm -hmm. and going on the road. At what point did you decide to start track? Because you're the one who travels with most of these. Yeah. When did the road show begin? Well, actually, we started out with the road show. Um, We started out when when Etheria was just a science fiction and fantasy. Um, When Heidi was running it that way, um, she would... Um, partner and play in Boston at the Somerville Theater there. So my very first stop was with that, take the, the films on the road. Right. Um, and we have open invites out, partnered with other festivals, you know, even the ones I, I can attend, um, like Montenegro Film Festival a couple years ago right. did a block of Etheria. We have a festival in um, Lebanon. That's amazing. That has played our films. Um, we started an organization teaming with other women um, genre festivals, such as Stranger With My Face in um, Australia. Um, uh, just, I guess we're very flexible in that our, our, what's important to us is that these films get seen, that these women's work get out there. Mm-hmm. So we're happy to collaborate with another festival to program an Etheria block. I'm, I'm having some discussions with a few other fests on that. But oftentimes, as we get into the discussions, I realize, you know what? As much as it would be good for Etheria to brand this as an Etheria block within XYZ main festival, right? I would much rather you just program these shorts by these women to be in the main competition and Absolutely. take my name out of it, and I'll do them as a referral. I, I know that's probably the worst business strategy to keep afloat, but it, it means more to me that I also, there's a time and a place that we don't create a sub category within a main fest that leaves the woman there. Right. Being approached by another fest that said, oh, we're going to do an award for the best woman. What should we call it? I'm like, best director. Absolutely. And, but that also speaks to what you said earlier about working to become obsolete. And uh, I think that if you are out there hitting the trail with that message, yes. that's as important as the work you do at Etheria because we have to break those barriers down. Uh, and you're on the road a lot. I am. L- literally. So you were where yesterday? Oh, well, I was doing other travel for other non-Etheria related okay. business. Um, but the weekend um, the, the weekend prior, I was in Louisville, Kentucky on the Days of the Dead tour. Right. I hit all five cities a year with the Days of the Dead horror convention. They're a wonderful partner that has me in, um, always always has a good time slot for my block. And it's it's become a place that I can you know consider a second home and, and the fans are very enthusiastic. Tours like that within festivals mm-hmm. um, I think are important because 
on that side of it, we're saying, all right, if the studios aren't hiring these women or um, distributing films by these women, I'm taking these films directly to the fans where they can appreciate them and see them in a room with other um, enthusiasts. We have standalone events, four walls, where different theaters programmers will invite us in, such as the Somerville Theater you know, in Boston, teaming with all things horror there, or um, different Alamo type events, or you know, any city. I'm talking to someone in, in North Dakota, you know, oh, great. Like, how far away is that? Um, because that's really important to us. If they won't do it, we'll take it right to the fans. Right. Fans can see and, you know, fans ask how they can support. Well, if you, you know, tell other people, m- remember the names, you know, that's an important thing. Name recognition. Right. Right. If they're, if this, if the system's not, is going to bury us under the established how you network and who knows who then we have to make our own noise. Absolutely. And in addition to traveling and sponsoring events, well, you sponsor a lot of events. For example, at the beginning of October at Beyond Fest, uh, Etheria is co-sponsoring with Cinematic Void, a double feature of the Slumber Party Massacre films, uh, parts one and two. Yeah. Uh, how many isolated events throughout the year, in addition to the roadshow, do you say you do? A dozen? Um, possibly more. It's, it's hard to it's hard to say. Um, right. You know, if we we do as much as we can, if it, if it's feasible, if it's right. something that we can fit into our schedule or it can partner with others to do, we we definitely want to do it. Um, you know, unfortunately, uh, we, we can't do everything. Mm-hmm. But I'm also just as happy to refer other to others to maybe do it. That if I think there's a good fit, I'll. Re- and we can't, I'll, I'll right. refer them to somebody else that maybe can or get in, in directly in touch with the directors to set something up directly. And uh, just in an abstract way, we're not going to name any names or whatever, but what do you think other film festivals can do to help improve visibility for marginalized filmmakers? I, I think recently I got pulled into a discussion about a festival that um, was receiving some flack for only having one woman director, and the response was, well, you know, we only got these films. I think it's important in any festival that programmers take their job of programming, that they're actively seeking out the voices, that you're not sitting back waiting to see what comes your way, what gets mailed to you. Mm-hmm. Like if they want to be in, they'll find me. Um Yes, many people will, and you'll 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 get good films, but you're going to get the same ones you've always gotten. Right. Um, as if you know, when filmmakers are trying to be heard, festival submissions are ex- incredibly expensive, and they cannot possibly send to every fest. Um, I'm of the opinion myself that there's no wrong way. It's finding out the right strategy for yourself, right, as an artist and a filmmaker. Um, and what you want to achieve. Right. Um, so some take the strategy of only submitting to the top tier and maybe one or two smaller fests a year. And they're going to get missed. Right. Um, you know, programmers, we do partner with other fests to share with each other. If I know something um, that maybe fits what their focus is. My focus is on directed by a woman within these genres. Right. My focus is not feminist content within the film. Sure. 
if I have a good film that qu- doesn't quite fit into my genre categories, but I think it's very strong, I'll refer it to other women festivals that are focusing on feminist content. Um, and I think that's something that all programmers should do. Talk, Seek out those voices. See what other people are playing. Not to the extent, like, I have seen people just copy our entire lineup, and that's all the women they have. Right. But, hey, great for the woman. They got seen again someplace else. But it's not changing the status quo. Is that problematic for you, though, when people do that? Or do you is, do you like to see that those filmmakers are at least getting visibility? I like to see that the filmmakers are getting visibility. And I guess when they say, you know, it's like the best form of flattery or whatever. Right. Um, so I, I'm. It, it makes it hard sometimes, but I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with that. And I know that there's plenty of films, even after my tour, that even we saw that we just cannot manage repping them out into the world. Right. And I wish them the best. Um, And I know there's plenty more that still have yet to find us because every year someone will say, I had no idea you even existed. And and then someone just mentioned it and I figured, well, it was 10 bucks. So I sent it. And you still get thousands of submissions, even as people are discovering it. Uh, I've, been very lucky to be on your judges panel one of the years of the festival and the caliber of films that you select it's it's very difficult to be a judge because these movies are amazing and we only see the finalists sure you watch are you watching movies all year long is that we are um Pretty much, you know, we we just opened for submissions in August. We did our our early bird. Right. We're we're open now. Um, We expect to see a lot more. Things will start ramping up around October with the big bump in February. We close at the end of February, Women in Horror Month. Right. um, Every year for our submissions for the main lineup. Now, we curate year round. um, Because we do like to refer other places. And if I get invited for an event that something will fit that. But to, to qualify for the main lineup, um, the big party celebration right. is uh, February of every year. And we have to start now. Right. Um, because, you know, the, the big chunk of what we'll get will be in those last couple of weeks. Well, it's always, it's like being a student at school. You always wait till those last few sure. minutes before the deadline, right? Uh, so... I mean, throughout all of this, obviously, your support and hard work to support female filmmakers across the board is just amazing. And it's not just relegated to the festival, which is uh, something. And now I want to shift a little gears to talk about something else you did recently. Uh You worked uh, with Jackie Kong recently uh, with the Blu-ray re-release of her 1980 classic Blood Diner. Yes. And uh, that was part of the Vestron video Blu-ray re-release. It was one of the first two that they re-released on on, on Blue. Uh, and you produced the special features on that? I did. Tell me about working with Jackie and, and uh, kind of getting involved on this movie that uh, has been around for a long time. Um, you know, over time, ever, within any community, you, you, make, you network and you make connections and you get to know different people. Last year for Ethereum Film Night, now every year we give an inspiration award to a woman that's gone before us, right. that has inspired us. And last year we had given the award to Jackie Kong um, for her work on Blood Diner. And it just so happened that um, Lionsgate was working in the background of, of starting all these Vestron releases and the company they had hired um, to do these special features um, Heather Buckley was the producer of all of the special features. And 
have, having just had Jackie and I know Heather, she reached out. She's like, hey, we're going to do this anyways. You want to be involved with it? I said, sure. And uh, put that together, did all the interviews um, here that, that were in Los Angeles. Right. Um, Carl Crew and Jackie and everyone else. Um, and uh, hired the team, you know, for everything and got all the deliverables sent in and took care of the contracts, locations. Well, because of that Blu-ray release, Blood Diner's kind of getting a second win. Jackie's touring around right now. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, it's one that's one of those titles that got, had gotten lost after VHS um, in the U.S. Right. There was no uh, DVD release of Blood Diner in the United States for all the various reasons. And, you know, those that love the film, um, the most popular version had been the German release of Blood Diner right. um, that had been circling around for many years. So this was pretty exciting and twofold. This is a title that really needed um, its own American release. Die-hard horror films, of course, are going to buy, you know, PAL versions right. um, of things. But, you know, the average person that would love to have it is like, isn't going to invest in a player or, um, to play it. Um, but also having it cleaned up and, you know, everything and just Vestron, just to say Vestron. Oh, Everybody was really excited because it was, you know, that one in Chopping Mall, the first of many more releases. And we're so happy to see that vault opened again. Well, growing up during the video rental years, to see Vestron screen opening up a movie, you knew you were in for something. Yes. Uh, usually, in my case, it was I knew I was in for fun. Some people were like... We're in for chaos, but I I love I love that they're bringing those out of the vaults because those are the midnight movies of my childhood. So, uh, and speaking of releases um, and the festival, you put together a home video release of some of the shorts that have played Etheria over the years. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, yes, so we have um, in uh, partnership with Ruthless, we have released our first um, anthology of shorts. It's called Seven from Etheria. Mm-hmm. Um, it came out on, I believe, my birthday, July 5th. Oh. Don't forget my birthday, Michael. I will not. Um, and it did open at, at um, a few select theaters across the country and goes it was, is available um, to download or rent on Amazon, as well as a few other outlets, I think, like On Demand and, and things like that. And, you know, we're hoping to do more of these um, in the future. One of the another thing that that does tie back into the main festival. Um, these shorts they're they're all phenomenal, but I do get a lot of questions of why didn't you release this film from that year? It was the favorite, or it won the awards. For the actual festival, we will never limit the submissions or the films selected to be played there based on the availability for distribution. Right. We want to show the best films. I don't care if it's played 20 other festivals in Los Angeles already. If we say it's the top, we're going to play it. Right. When you get into doing distribution for an anthology, a DVD, or an online release, contractually, things are different. Sure. Um, And... There are some beautiful gems, even you know, filmmakers wanted to release with us, but because of who owns them, or it wasn't feasible. Right. So um, one of the things we, that we've done with, the, with these directors is it's non-exclusive. If you can resell that someplace else, we'll take it down. Like, right. no problem. Um, if you want to include it, you know, you're, you finally got a feature and you want it as a special feature. 
doesn't have anything to do with us. Right. But we want the opportunity to continue to get those films out there and make them available for fans that that want to download it or want to own a copy if I can get some printed at some point. Um, you know, it. I guess, you know, some some might view it differently that, well, you should do the film that it's just so you can release it and go straight in and have it, it'll be big and you can market it. Right. But I don't want to not focus on these directors that are fantastic just because they can't distribute their film. I don't think that's fair. I agree. It's two separate pieces. As much as I'd like to say, here's this year's Etheria and here's the DVD that goes with it. Right. I'd love to. Well, I still think the seven from Etheria is a great sampling of what you do. Absolutely. And again, I think it is. I'm not I'm not saying that these films were lesser than or worse than. Absolutely. It's to address yeah. that a lot of people asking, why isn't this film there? Right. I would have assumed that this film would be there. And that's why. But the seven from Etheria um, gives a, it does give a wonderful sampling. You have about an hour and 34 minutes. Uh, seven shorts from around the world. I have uh, De Noche Iri Pronto is from Spain by Arancha Echeverria. Do not ask me to spell that again out without <laughs> looking, but um, she's a phenomenal filmmaker and it's a very tense thriller um, that translates very well as, um, as well. And it's beautiful, beautifully shot. Um, Pilar Sanchez, the, uh, the cinematographer, is also a woman. Oh, that's and awesome. they work together and, and believe I w- was told that they'll be sending some more films to me shortly. So I'm looking forward to seeing those. Um, a little heavy on Australian because I will say I've, I've watched I could I could program an all Australian women's fest easily because they're phenomenal. There was a short a couple years ago and I just have to ask. It's about the woman who is like the jelly wrestler. What's that called? It's called The Jelly Wrestler. Oh my God, that short was so <laughs> outrageous. It's it's a horror short of this older woman who works in a, a jelly wrestling like well, establishment. It's yes. it, which I think is uh, for Americans. They basically they put like Vaseline in a, a tub. It's, it's Jello yeah, wrestling. It's jello. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that is actually on the anthology. Oh great! Yes, uh, The Jelly Wrestler by Rebecca Thompson, and the actress is Elise Taylor. She was phenomenal playing the washed-up barmaid that wants one last shot at Jelly Wrestling glory. It is next level off the hook crazy. <laughs> I really love it. It's dark. Yeah. It's fun. It, it 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 hits the right notes, and I mean, especially you know, it is a very light parody of The Wrestler. There's shots taken yeah. straight out of there. but And I believe that woman could kick Mickey Rourke's ass, 100%. Uh, pr- probably, probably. <laughs> um, well, on that track, um, because I like to ask all of the guests who come on, because we do exist in a world of film, sure. uh, what have you seen recently that you recommend, or what's something that you just really uh, are into right now that you think people listening should watch? Whether it's from your festival or it's just something you saw in the theater last week, it doesn't have to be. Oh, I've been so busy. There's there's very little time to, to get out and see um, right. many other films. I, I did see... Um, it doesn't have to be new, either. It doesn't. Um, that's a, I, I, Wind River. Wind River. Yeah. Tell me about that. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a bleak film with a lot of heart. I don't know how else to say it. A bleak film with a lot of heart is where um, I live. You know, not not <laughs> as recent, but you know, within the last year, and also I think is a good example of of what we did here. You know, 
last year as part of Beyond Fest, we did partner up to co-present a double feature of Raw and The Bad Batch. Now, both of these feature films came out around the same time last year, and they're both available now to um, view online or buy DVDs. Both are by women directors. Both are feature films about um, horror Mm -hmm. films about cannibalism. That would seem like two identical films. Everything after that is entirely different. Right. Entirely different storylines, entirely different designs, the way it, you know, everything. Bad Batch is more like a, a Western, you know, and um, and Raw is this sleek, you know, French New Wave style. Well, and that's the other thing, the, the, the layer beyond that is in, in addition to being female-directed cannibal films, those are both international filmmakers, too. Yes. Yeah. Ish. Ish. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, I mean like, what else is a more perfect example of we don't all shoot the same way, we don't all tell it the same way, right. and getting that out of everybody's head. So I think both of those are, are two phenomenal films to, to watch, and, and especially to watch as a double feature. That's great. So you can see the similarities and the differences. Well, you he- heard it here first. Stacy Pippi Hammond uh, wants to serve up to you some tasty cannibalism. <laughs> uh, what What are you working on next? Um, currently, you know, again, we're we're doing the submissions right now. I'm um, booking some more tour dates. My out outside of um, the. Beyond Fest date. My next stop for Days of the Dead will be in Chicago in November. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to do another lineup there. It's a great city. And after that, we'll do Atlanta with Days of the Dead. Ooh. And then after that, really looking forward to Days of the Dead's first time in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I want, uh, you know, I do my screening and I have my information booth and we're going to make it the gayest table at a horror convention ever. Please tell them I said hi. I'm dragging you with me, right? (laughs) I would come. I would come cause trouble in Charlotte. You should should come and be my booth babe. All right. I haven't booth babed since the trauma years. We all have that in common as well, too. You know, my son is mini Toxie. Oh, yeah. If you ever look at that at the G4. That's right. Um, And he battles the Ewok. Uh, <laughs> Ewoks need battling. Um, so as we close out this episode, because you spend so much of your career championing filmmakers who the industry tries to say doesn't exist, sure. if you could issue a message to, to creatives and filmmakers who feel like they aren't being heard, what would you say? Oh, it sounds so trite, but you know, don't give up. Keep looking and finding your tribe. Again, there's not a right way and a wrong way. There are different ways. Um, there are a lot of traps out there, but there are a lot of good people that also want to find their tribe and band together to make more films and get heard. Right. So um, just if, 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 if you feel like you've had to sacrifice your creativeness um and, and, and are not quite happy with perhaps a, a team that you feel like you, you know, you're not going to be able to make anything unless you're with this team, but right. you don't feel like it's the right place. It's your decision, but think lock and hard. There's probably another team out there that will be a better fit. I believe, you know, definitely intersectionality and different relationships and it's all banding together and lifting each other up. And I think I personally feel it's 
not, um, again, not a right way, not a wrong way, not here's a flat Venn diagram of if you want this amount of success and this amount of money doing this type of content that this is where they meet. Right. I view all relationships as a Venn diagram made out of Mobius strips on a 3D model. There are different levels of connectedness and different twists that make something a little bit more of a Goldilocks fit. And you'll find it. Don't give up hope. Find your tribe. Find your tribe. Stacy, where can people find you? That is, I think we were making that into a hashtag, where is Pippi? And like <laughs> Carmen Sandiego or something, or Waldo. Um, bouncing around. Um, I can be reached at Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, at ethereafilmnight.com. Mm-hmm. Our website, ethereafilmnight.com. On Facebook, ethereafilmnight. <laughs> Stacy Pippi. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, ethereafn. Because you know every letter counts. Absolutely. Get those characters. Right. Yeah. And um, if anyone has a genre of film directed by a woman they would like to submit, we are open on Film Freeway at Etheria Film Night. Well, I'm so glad you were able to join us today. Uh, you're one of the most phenomenal forces in the industry. You're so supportive of filmmakers, and you curate one of the best nights that I get to attend all year and I love to discover and learn about all these amazing filmmakers out there and I owe a lot of that to you so thank you Stacy, for coming today thank you for having me and uh, as always this has been Dead for Filth I'm yours and Glam and Gore good night and good luck Dead for Filth is a Reverie Studios original production and can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud, as well as the Reverie app for the best in queer-rated entertainment.